that are visiting, last week we started our journey through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the 16 chapters that give the account from the uh, point of view uh, of Peter, but written by John Mark. And having the opportunity to be able to dive through that. So we're going to finish up chapter 1 today. Uh, I got another slide over here. Thank you, Savannah Sipos. I don't see you in, in here right now. Uh, but she did a great job illustrating kind of the chapter, the rest of chapter one uh, for us. And then we're going to dive into it. But thank you guys for being here this morning. Thank you, Markowitz, for sharing the portion of your lives with us uh, today. Um, thank very, very good for that. Uh, thank you, George, for letting us know that God is still working. Uh, that we are growing. So uh, I guess I'm a geek, too, because so I, I enjoyed it, brother. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We couldn't do it every week, right? But we'll do it once a year. But it's great to have uh, another elder here just having a great time of fellowship and let us know where we're moving as a congregation. But real quickly here we have uh, on the slide here is what Mark looks like and what Jesus was doing as he was going through this some about 24-hour period after he fasted and picking up in Mark chapter 1 verse 14. But before Mark 14, Jesus spent 40 days fasting. It said he didn't have any water or any food for 40 days. And the, the most, the longest I ever fasted was a day. I've not known people who fasted a week, 21 days, so on and so forth. But let me ask you guys this. After fasting 40 days, what do you think you're going to do on day 41? Yes, you're going to have some water, you're going to eat. But think about how long it'll take to recover from 40 days of fasting. Physically. Physically not eating. Physically not drinking. And what ends up happening in Mark 12, verse 13, it talks about Jesus going through the temptation there uh, from saving Satan, but also connecting with God. And then after that, he started his ministry. And many think uh, the area there uh, in yellow was the area that we're talking about in Galilee that we're going to pick up here in verse 14, 14, which is north of Jerusalem, right? We were, we were getting our bearings right. What's north, south, east, and west last week? So hopefully you guys practiced a little bit between last week and this week. If you're not, hey, man, that's all right. But south of the Sea of Galilee is where we're going to pick up. This is going to be the area that Jesus was going, and we'll see Jesus in action, which is the theme that we're going to focus on here in the Gospel of Mark. Is the good news still good? Is it? Yes. I was talking to a, a guy earlier this week, and he told me, that the good news is not good to me anymore. And as I was thinking about that, as I was conversing with him and trying to find out why, and just seeing some of the blocks that he had, it made me think even to myself and think about our own congregation individually. Is the good news still good to us? It is. And you think about all the different ways that it's good. And if you think about all the different ways that God has helped us and he continues to help us. And also to consider all the ways that he has helped us that we're not even aware of. 
because he's that good. And how important it is to not take our eyes off of Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on as we look at chapter 1 here, is that it's an ingredient of the good news staying good. But if we don't hold on to the principles, if we don't hold on to fixing our eyes on Jesus, the unlikely and the unthinkable can happen when the good news stop being good. If you guys can turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to read here. Actually, we'll read a little bit of 12 first, and we're going to read 12 through 14. So the first thing that we must do for the good news to stay good, we must follow Jesus. To follow, he told the disciples to follow me, which we're going to pick up here uh, after his temptation. But here in verse 12 of Matthew 4, he says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. As I mentioned earlier, the first thing we're going to focus on, the first thing to keep the good news good we must see Jesus, amen? After he was tempted 40 days, he had his recuperation time. Not sure how long that was. But then he revisited a pair of brothers again. And I remember the first time reading this passage, I was like, man, Jesus met these guys from the first, the first time he met them. He was like, hey, come follow me. And they dropped everything and followed him. Then after reading some of the, the other gospels, you see in the gospel of John, that he had some interaction with these brothers before. He had some in interaction, which two of them were uh, disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist pointed them to Jesus. And now Jesus, after being tempted, after starting preaching the word of repent, repent that, and believe the good news, he's like, okay, I need some people that's going to walk with me. I need some guys that I can pour into that can take on what I have because my time here is short. But the cool thing that I see that I love about Jesus is how intentional he is with everything that he does. You know, the disciples, they saw Jesus. You know, you can imagine being at your workplace and Jesus calling you, you know, you but my workplace is here, so if he called me, I'm like, okay, wait, isn't it the same thing? Isn't it? But you think about your place of employment. Jesus came to your place and said, hey, Daniel Lithen Walter. Hey, Rich Rouser. Hey, Monroe Morgan. Hey, Carlos. Hey, whoever. 
come follow me. And how for many of us that has already happened, right? That was the call when we opened up the scriptures, when we saw that Jesus wanted to have a relationship with us so that he can lead us to heaven, but also to lead us to helping other people become disciples. The the apostles learned firsthand of what it is to have a relationship with God. They learned what it was firsthand, how it was to interact with others, how to interact with God, how to overcome 40 days in the desert without water, without food, how to overcome being tempted by Satan. But the first way, the first step of keeping the good news good, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We must be in his presence. When he calls you to, hey, come follow me, because you need to see what I'm doing. You need to see how I overcome struggle. You need to see how I overcome challenges. We have the opportunity, just like these apostles did, to say, I will leave everything to come follow you. I will stop doing what I'm doing to come follow you. But what happened? What did the disciples see? What did they encounter when they walked with Jesus? Let's continue reading here in verse 21, amen? So this is the part where it gets a little crazy. And that's what happened when you hang out with Jesus, right? Things get crazy. Here in verse 21, it says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, and Capernaum is in Galilee, in the area of Galilee, it says, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus said sternly, Be quiet. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently. And came out of him with a shriek. With a shriek. Verse 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives order to, uh, orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. I can can imagine this scene here, that this guy, this demon-possessed man, warms up to Jesus. And remember, this had to be the early days of the apostles, the disciples following Jesus. He he preached, repent, and believe. He called them to follow them, and he's like, okay, let's see what the day in life of Jesus looks like. And you have this crazy man run at you. But one of the things I want you to think about, This man was demon-possessed, and he came and ran to Jesus. My question to you, was it the demon that ran to Jesus, or was it the man? Was it the man that saw his need for Jesus, even though possessed by a demon, and fought hand and foot so that he can come and see Jesus? Even with the demon, You know, sometimes we think about our own lives. We think about things that trip us up. 
We think about our pride. We think about our selfishness. We think about impulsive lying. We think about the addictions that we may have. We think, as long as I have this addiction, it's no way that I can see Jesus. It's no way that I can fall at his feet. That's Satan speaking, right? That's like the lies that the Markowitz was talking about, was referring to earlier. Satan know how to cover things up and, and make things where it makes sense to you. It makes sense to us. But then you have this Jesus into the picture. And the demon-possessed man found out. And I can, I can imagine the scene. And you think about the, the picture of this man, demon-possessed, this demon torturing this man, causing all type of havoc in his life. But then the man finds out that Jesus is here. And running, straining, trying to find everything possible to get to Jesus. Then he gets into the front of Jesus. He's confronted with him. And guess what happens? Then the demon speaks up. He realizes I couldn't overpower the man right now. But now I'm in front of Jesus. And I'm confronted with the Holy One. Holy One of God, the Messiah. How did the demon react? (laughs) He was like, I know who you are. You're Jesus of Nazareth. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? How often does that happen in our lives? Where you try to change, you try to repent, you hear, you believe. And then... The things that want to hold you back, sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's our own sinful nature. They start to speak up again. They start to try to call you back to the life on the way to hell instead of going into paradise with heaven. You start seeing that battle happens. And the awesome thing about the people in this room, when that battle happens, We're going to side with Jesus, amen. We're going to side with the one who says, come and follow me. And we're also going to side with that one that says, the sin is no more. Is the good news still good? Yes. Because of the good news, we get to follow Jesus. Because of the good news, we don't have to hold on to our sin anymore. We don't have to think about our past and see that this is, something that characterizes me. I think about uh, Mr. Ron Holly here. All y'all know Ron. He does a great job with AV. I got a, him and the crew back there. And I got a picture here. I don't know if y'all know Ron back in the day or not. Back in the day or not. I'm not sure if y'all knew him back then. But y'all know, out of the picture on the left, you know which one is Ron though, right? I don't know if that was with Bon Jovi's cousin or not. I'm not sure who that is. <laughs> but you got Ron Holly back in the day. Addicted. Addicted to drugs. Addicted to sin. And he could have easily thought some of the things that we may think. How am I ever going to overcome? How am I ever going to make it? 
How am I ever going to make anything out of my life? And then someone comes and share that good news with Ron. Someone comes and tells him that, hey, it don't matter what happened in your past. Yes, there's going to be consequences to our past, right? But because of Jesus, because of this good news, that past doesn't define us anymore, amen? Our history doesn't define us anymore. We learn the lessons. Hopefully we're not repeating the bad history, right? But we have an opportunity to be able to see Jesus. And Ron, he reminds me often, I think every time uh, he goes to that point where uh, he adds another year of sobriety. And this year, he's celebrating 26 years of sobriety. Is the good news still good? It is. It's so much that God wants to do in our lives. But what must we do first? We must come follow him. Then we must allow him to do the work that he wants to do on us. And he elicits elicits our help to do that. Because as we mentioned earlier, looking at this text, the demon didn't approach Jesus. The man did. The woman, you think about men, women, we have to come and approach Jesus. Jesus said, I can't do everything for you, nor do you want that. You want it under our own submission to him to come and enjoy the good news. Amen. But what happens? What happens after that? Once we come and follow him, once he takes the sin out of our lives, what's next? That brings me to my third comment of this is why I come. Jesus reminds his disciples. He reminds them as they were interacting here what he had come to do. You guys could turn with me or stay there at Mark chapter 1, verse 29. We'll continue reading. This is, this is all just one day in the life of Jesus Christ, right? This is a narrative that's just going on in one day. It says in verse 29, as soon as they left their synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and as they, as they told Jesus about her, so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. The evening after sunset, the people pro- brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And before I continue reading, you think about that concept. Why would Jesus not want the demons to speak? Wouldn't that be good marketing for them, for the demons to even say that, hey, this guy is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. Let's think about who he's preaching to right now. He's preaching to a people, the Israelites who was waiting on a Messiah, yes. But as we had mentioned last week, they thought he was going to be just an earthly ruler, a warrior king, someone to help overthrow the Romans, the rule that they had over the Israelites. He was like, okay, before 
before these people just jump on my bandwagon because of the, the power that I have, because of the image and the expectations that they have for me, I want to make sure that they understand that I'm here for the Father's work, not for your agenda. And with these demons saying what they're saying, he's like, okay, we need to wait. And that's a great lesson on waiting. Because sometimes we want everything right now where God is saying, hey, you're not ready for everything right now. You're not ready for the full blessing right now. I give you some right now. But wait a little bit. Be able to process what you have right now. Be able to evaluate relationships. Be able to dive into the word. Pray with me and then I can add to you. And that's the awesome thing about being a disciple of Jesus is that we continually get more and more added to us as we're being transformed to be like Jesus in his image. Amen. As we continue reading in verse 35. Very early in the morning. So this is the next day after healing and preaching. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. You know, it got the actual exclamation mark on that. Like, you know, like Jesus, like I'm praying and they come yelling at a brother, right? He's like, come on now. Verse 38, Jesus replied, not, okay, let's go and do what the people want. You know, let's give the people what they want. No, what did he say? Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus says, this is why or that is why I have come. How important is it for us to know our purpose? To know why we're here on earth. Sometimes we think it's, I'm just here to keep my flower bed free of weeds. <laughs> Some of us think I'm just here to work out and be as buff as I can. Or maybe as thin as I can, depending on where we're at. Sometimes I'm just here to make as much money as possible so I can take care of not only my kids, but my grandkids, but my great-grandkids. Those are good things. Those are responsible things. For sure, those don't take the place of our ultimate purpose of getting to know God through Jesus. And Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples understood that. Because they had just begun to follow Jesus. Just begun to see what the day in the life of the Messiah was. And in their mind, they're thinking, hey, you need to go back. You need to go back because it's more people that need to be healed. It's more people that got requests for you. What did Jesus say? I have come to preach. I have come to get the good news out there. That doesn't mean he had, didn't come to heal and to set the, the captives free. That meant that the gospel, that was the true reason. 
Yes, he would help people that were physically blind be able to see, but he was much more concerned with the spiritual blind. Those who were spiritually just not able to move and walk. Spiritually. And it's just dumbfounding sometimes to think about that concept. That Jesus had to tell them, this is why I have to come. Let me ask you guys this. What is your purpose? What gets you up in the morning? What helps you sleep well at night? What is the thing that continues to keep your motor going? And is that answer Jesus? Is that answer the gospel? Is that answer, I want to do the will of God? I know it was a time in my walk with God where I was just doing the things that I just thought I needed to do. Thought I needed to leave a Bible talk. I thought I needed to say this or say that. Confess this or confess that. Hang with this guy or hang with this person. Go out on dates. Encourage the sisters. All these things are good. We just can't miss the main point amen we can't miss the main point is that it's about jesus it's about not only jesus but it's about us being transformed to be more like jesus as we talked about in our men's midweek a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago think about second corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 where it says we want to be transformed into the glory of god transformed into the image of jesus Guys, are we still transforming? Are we still evaluating ourselves like the Markowitz had talked about earlier where we're starting to think about, hey, how am I reacting to my parents' teens? Am I thinking about how I speak to my mom, how I speak to my dad? Campus, are we thinking of what type, what type of attitude am I sharing or exuding amongst the students of where I go to school at? Am I just trying to blend in and be like everyone else? Or I'm trying to be set apart and focused on God and his mission. As marrieds, as singles, are we carrying ourselves with integrity at our jobs? Are we being men and women where every time someone new comes on to the job, your manager wants them to hang with you because you have best practices that they want to pass on? Guys, we have a light that is big as this world that we get to shine through Jesus, amen. We have a goodness through the good news that is so powerful. But what can get in the way? Ourselves, like the disciples talked about, other agendas, the American dream. We want to be successful. But why do we want to be successful? So we can meet other men and women who are successful and point them towards God. Why do we want to have good families? Yes, it's awesome to have kids that are respectful. But we want them to go and be a light as well. Everything that we do circles around Jesus. And you think, Clint, man, that's too much, bro. Jesus for everything? 
Jesus on my job, Jesus on the highway, Jesus on the byway, Jesus wherever? Yes. Because Jesus affects all those, and we've been affected by Jesus, right? That's why we're here right now. If this is your first time coming out, or you've been here for years. We've been affected by Jesus, and we know that the good news is still good. Amen? I think about a few people as I end up here. A few people that, that I just love because they see Jesus' mission, and they're like, I want to be that too. And just a couple people that come to mind. I think about Rosa Montez. Many of us know Rosa Montez. She's been part of our church for a while. Not because she's old, but because she's faithful. Amen. But it's awesome to see her sharing her faith, sharing her life in her workplace. And helping to affect the next generation. To help the next generation be able to see God. To be able to see Jesus. Be able to help young women that need, like all of us, to be able to see what a savior, what a real man really looks like in Jesus. And I know, I, I think she had at least a couple women that's studying the Bible, that's learning of what the real truth is, what the good news is. And I think about Jonathan Lithenwalter. You know, a part of the Lithenwalter clan. We got all three of the clan in today, uh, the three of the boys. But Jonathan Lithenwalter, he's one of those guys where every time I'm talking about him, he's talking about, man, I'm trying to reach out to this guy. I'm trying to reach out to this person. I'm trying to bring this person to this. Because he's embraced the mission. He's embraced the purpose of going out and being because of what God is being in him. And that's admirable. That is what all of us, we want to be in whatever context we're in. Amen. But also I think about one of our newer disciples, Leah Batatane. Did I say it right? Is it an accent on the first T or the second T? All right, so Leah a friend of the democracies. And I remember the democracies sharing with us about a year and a half ago is they wanted to really take hold of the Filipino community here in Dallas. And because of their prayer, because of just throwing it up to God, because God, God like, hey, I like that too. Here you go. And then Leah comes aboard. She gets baptized last year, but it didn't stop there. She had two friends at our house on Friday, and they were doing Zumba together. And I was like, what in the world? Is that right? Yes, it is. Because <laughs> it's good to have movement, right? But on a serious note, when she received the truth, when she received the gospel, she was like, there's no way you're going to keep me from telling this to somebody. Be it through Zumba or a book club or a dinner date, we're going to find a way to get some Jesus into my friends. Who's going to be the friends that we're going to get Jesus into? That we're going to be able to share our testimony with. To let them know is that no, it's not about just filling our schedule so much that we're just tired at the end of the day. No, we're so focused on Jesus that we're illuminating Jesus at the end of the day. We're so focused on his purpose. We're so grateful for the sins that he had took away from our life. And we're so 
just fired up about being able to follow him each and every day. Helen Keller said this. She said, true happiness is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. Is living out and preaching the good news a worthy purpose? Is it really? Is preaching God's word, is sharing God's word, is it a worthy purpose? Yes. That's where true happiness comes in. I think about this passage. I'm going to read it to you guys. I ask the question one more time. Is the good news still good? You know, we got a picture of here, just some persecution that happened. Just over the years, through disciples, just like us, who when come or faced with adversity, they had the choice to fold or to continue to say that Jesus is Lord. Listen to a description of some of these disciples. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destituted, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was truly not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their what? Their faith. Yet none of them received what they had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the writer of Hebrews chapter 11. Talking about those who gave their life for a worthy cause. And I remember reading this yesterday. Reading this passage and thinking, what do we have to deal with here in America? What are our being sawed into? What is us being stoned, metaphorically speaking, right now? And I was actually a little ashamed because these brothers and sisters of ours, they continued to fight, they continued to faith, and they have been through so much more than I've ever been through. I say this because of this, guys. When you walk out this room, it's going to be problems. It's going to be things that Satan is going to try to do to you that keep you from thinking that the good news is still good. It's going to be things that he's going to say, hey, don't talk about that. Don't address that. And it's going to stay in your heart. It's going to grow. It's going to get bitter. It's going to be just like the conversation I had earlier last week with a friend that the good news was not good anymore. But, guys, we have a remedy for that. Amen. We have a remedy. It talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that we need to fix our eyes on the one, on the one who's Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. But he also says in 1 Peter that we must resist Satan, resist him, run away. We have an opportunity to follow Jesus and run away from Satan. We have an opportunity to come and have a transparent life. Or live a concealed life where we're hiding our sin. We have an opportunity, guys, that we can make such an impact in our communities that we look back 
and see, man, how do we do this? And it's only by the grace of God. Men, women, friends, family, we have a great opportunity to not only tell news, but to tell good news to the masses. My question for us is as we live out the, the rest of our lives, especially this next week, we have the opportunity to answer the question, is the good news still good? Amen? Amen. Amen.